the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. According to social psychologists and, and relationship uh, research, every group dynamic, every group, and a group is more than one person, will always, when they're forming a relationship, will always go through four stages. The first stage is the forming stage. The second stage is the storming stage. The third stage is the norming stage. And the fourth stage is the performing. The forming stage when it comes to marriage is when you fall in love. It's that initial attraction that happens and you see this other person and you think, wow, I've never met a person like this before. I'm so excited to meet someone like this. And they seem to understand you so well and you understand them so well. And and you can talk for hours because you have this amazing attraction that's going on. And there's a a connection. There's a sense of, of infatuation that goes along with this. And there's nothing wrong with that because no relationship would ever form without some level of attraction. But over a period of time, and especially after a couple has moved beyond the attraction to a marriage relationship, at some point in time, there's going to be the storming phase. And the storming phase is when you begin to discover significant differences, not the minor differences, but real differences in personalities, differences in the way that you think about things, the way you go about life and living. And there's this there's a storm that begins to occur, and it begins to happen in your life and in your relationships, and things become very difficult during that season. And then if you press through the storming season appropriately, then you come to what's called the norming season. That's when you've made adjustments. You've grown some, and the other person has grown some, and you've learned how to accept certain things about one another that you didn't accept before, and so now things are working out a little bit better. And then ultimately, out of the norming stage will come the performing stage. That's when you actually are a team. That's when you're actually in a place of being united in working together. And so you come to this point where things are just working. Now, I'll give you some words to go along with each of these stages. The forming stage is what I would call the happy stage, right? You're really, really happy. You ever met somebody in love? Tremendously happy. And then we move from the, from the happy stage into the storming season, and the storming stage becomes the horrible stage. And you ask someone that's in this stage, how's your relationship? It's horrible. I can't understand what's going on here. I thought we were in love with one another, et cetera. And so it's just horrible. It's miserable right now. And uh, we're not really getting along. And so that's a phase that people will go through. And then this stage is what I would call the hopeful stage. You now moved beyond the horrible, and now you're starting to make adjustments, and there's hope that things are going to get better. And this stage, the final stage, is the harmonious stage. You're actually in harmony with one another. You're working together. Now, that being said, 
I've known couples that have been stuck in the storming stage for their entire marriage, okay? And they've never learned how to make the adjustments that are necessary uh, to one another to norm out to the point that they can now begin to perform together as a team. Now, here's what I want you to see. These These two dimensions right here, forming and storming, they are inevitable. You're going to have them in any relationship. You can't get away from them. But these two are intentional, You're not the only couple facing a storm. Every couple faces their own storms in different ways and different degrees. It is inevitable, but what is not inevitable is this part that's intentional that you begin to do something to make the difference that moves you beyond the forming and storming to the norming and the performing. I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said this. So these are the words of Jesus. So we need to pay close attention to what Jesus said. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. These are the words of Jesus about marriage. Now, there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about in this particular passage. But today, I want to draw your attention to one specific phrase, one phrase only. And that phrase that I want you to pay close attention to is this phrase, the two will, say it with me, become one, okay? The two will become one. So Jesus said the ideal dimension of relationship in marriage is that there's a becoming, if you will. There's a transformation. There's a work that results in two people becoming one. How many of you know that's a miracle right there, right? Two people, two sinful, messed up, broken people in their own worlds actually coming to a place they have unity and harmony together. Now, this word become in both the English language and the Greek part of the Greek term for that word involves the concept of moving into or the concept of a process, okay? Where's the beginning point for this process? The beginning point for this process is that one phrase right there. To have a successful marriage, what must you do? What's a part of the process? You must bring God where? Into your marriage. Okay, this is vital. If you don't bring God into your marriage, it's like a cake without the flour. Okay, it's like the cake without the essence of what's going to make that cake a cake. And so this is where it begins. If you're going to engage an intentional process, you've got to make sure that you bring God into your marriage. Now, why is this so important? It's important because God is the one who created marriage. Amen. He designed marriage. Whose idea is marriage? Marriage is, again, God's idea, okay? It's not man's idea. It's God's idea. It's a sacred idea. That's when we talk about the sacrament of marriage. And here's what happens many times. A lot of times people get married and they never consult God about their marriage relationship. They never look to God or look to God's Word to try to find out how to do this thing that God created. Now, I'm going to talk to you about how to bring God into your marriage in three dimensions today, okay? And I'm going to break this apart in three areas. The beginning point for bringing God into your marriage actually happens before you get married. I want to talk to everyone here today that is unmarried, single. You're not in a marriage relationship right now. 
And I want you to think with me about this whole idea of one day getting married, and if you're going to get married and have God in your marriage, the best time to bring God into your marriage is not after you get married. The best time to bring God into your future marriage is to bring God into your life right now. And so here's the thing that I want you to see. You need to focus right now upon you big time. Because you need to be attentive and aware in your own life of the things that you are, that you're becoming, because you will attract who you are. If you want to attract the best kind of person for your life, you need to be the best version of you that you can be, spirit, soul, and body. That's why it's so vital that you work on you, that you begin to define your values. You begin to define very clearly what's important to you. You define what commitments you're going to live by in your life what will be the dimensions of your commitment, what you're going to commit your energies to in terms of your interests and your commitments of life. All these things are part of what you think about in your life so that you say, you know what, this is who I'm going to be, and then now I'm able to attract someone to me who shares in these same things. But if you don't know who you are, you're not going to be able to properly attract the right person in your life. This is where a lot of people make major mistakes. They don't pay attention. They don't pay sufficient attention before they get married and to the person they're becoming. And so they end up attracting someone that is less than the best for their life. Now, I want to give you some things in your life that you want to pay attention to that will keep you from making a bad decision if you're unmarried this morning, okay? Uh, I'll give you four things that can get you in trouble in terms of making a bad decision for a marriage partner. These are four I's, okay? The first thing that can get you in trouble is impurity. That's living in sin, living outside of God's will. Your behavior, the actions of your life are inconsistent with God's Word. Why? Because if you're living in impurity that is outside of God's rules and His design and commands, you never make good decisions when you're living outside of God's will. Amen? You can't make a good decision if you're not living for God. And so if you're living outside of God's will, you can't make this decision that's going to be valuable to you. You'll always make poor decisions when you're living in sin. The second thing that will get you in trouble when it comes to these kind of decisions is insecurity. Get secure in who you are. Know that you're a God's, you're a God's child, that you belong to Him. There's value to your life. Come to a place of security, and in that place of security, you'll attract someone that will value you the way, more the way God values you. So insecurity can get you in trouble. That's why you need to work on your impurities, and you need to work on your insecurities, and then the third one that I'll give you here is the word immaturity, and that is a word that obviously will get you in trouble. If you're emotionally immature, I mean, if everything's drama in your life and you're emotionally immature, you can't handle stress and you can't handle things, don't get married yet. Healthy people make better marriages, and this one will get you every time impatience. Let's go now to married people. I want to talk. I told you I was talking about three different groups today. The first one was the unmarried. The second group, the marrieds, okay? Would you read with me Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12? Let's read it aloud and loudly together, if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Let's read it. 
Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Notice that last statement. What does it say? A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I believe that that relates to two are better than one, but a cord of three strands is even better. And I believe the third strand to any successful marriage relationship is God. He is the, he is that strand that will bring strength to your relationships. I want to share with you quickly today, eight things in your life as a married person where you can bring God into your marriage that will make him the strand, that third strand of your marriage. Why don't we read these together? These relate to both husbands and wives. Read them with me. Number one, the first thing you have to do is give your lives to Jesus Christ. That's what makes a strong marriage. You bring, your, your, you bring Jesus into your marriage by bringing Jesus into your life. If Jesus is not in your life, you can't bring him into your marriage. Amen? So I would ask you today, is Jesus in your life? Do you have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus? If you don't, Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and have a relationship with him and he with me. So if you haven't invited Jesus into your life, you need to do that today if you want God to be a part of your marriage. Number two, what do great couples do? Bringing God into their marriage. They consistently attend and actively participate in church life. Now, someone's saying, well, certainly, Pastor, you put that in because you just want to get people to church. Yes, I do. (laughs) When you as a couple come into church, you may not feel it, you may not be aware of it, but just attending church together has a dynamic impact upon your relationship. You need to be consistently engaged in a personal relationship with Jesus and active participation in church life, all right? Notice the next one. These couples individually do what? Develop their relationship with God, including praying positively for their spouse. That is, this, this is all about personal relationship with God, growing your relationship with God alone. As you have personal time with God, as part of your personal time with God, you're praying positively for your spouse. The reason I put that word positively in there, because you can pray for your spouse negatively, and then number, number four, the fourth thing, these couples do what? To bring God into your marriage, you cultivate a devotional prayer life together, okay? My wife and I will do it as we go to, about, about to go to sleep at night. Very simple prayer. It is not long. Don't make it long. Nobody wants a long prayer, okay? When you're about to go to bed, make it short. I mean, short prayers are sweet, okay, when it comes to those kind of times. Just a short little prayer. And don't pray against your wife when you're praying or against your husband. Oh, God, now that we're together, it's such a wonderful opportunity for me to tell you all the things my wife is doing wrong. God, would you get a hold of her and help? She's not going to want to pray with you if you pray like that. Or if you as a wife pray that way, they're not going to want to pray. And so you pray in a positive way again with one another. This is so important. I say this, and it seems to be a little bit jovial, but I I, I know that this happens at times with people, and you don't want to get into that thing. Just a quick little prayer. God, thank you for this day, and thank you for the opportunity to serve you and a quick little prayer together and so prayer together so learn to pray together all right let's look at the next one is this the next one number five is that right number five surround yourselves these couples surround themselves with what 
Christian friends who are growing in their faith, all right? Why is this important? Because your friends will either make a good deposit in you or they'll drain you. Your friends, wrong friends can ruin a marriage. You've got to make sure that you surround yourself with Christian friends. That goes back to, again, connecting with the church. And by the way, that doesn't mean that everybody in the church is going to always be healthy either, okay? So even in the church, you've got to choose your friends wisely, right? Amen? No, that's the other church, right? No, that's this church. <laughs> Number six. Read with me. These couples make decisions by seeking God's will and guidance and wisdom. They do it together. If they're about to buy a house, they don't just run, one runs out and buys the house. No, they pray about it together, okay? When they're about to buy a new car, whatever it might be, they make decisions together. They're together in their relationship, and they're making decisions seeking God's will. Number seven, these couples make their faith, what, a part of their home life. They're actually in their homes become, here's a key word here. You know it, but I'm going to write it down. Their homes become a what kind of home? Not just in word, but in practice, okay? That their kids know we're a Christian family. We honor God in our home. It doesn't mean that we're a perfect home, but when we do make mistakes, we acknowledge it, and we seek to work together toward honoring Christ in our home. And then the eighth thing here these couples invest in, read with me, Christian resources, church groups, and studies that grow them in their faith and marriage. Remember the Bible says that two are better than one, but a three-fold cord is not, what, easily broken. And so the key, if you're going to have a successful marriage, is you've got to bring God into your marriage. And I just gave you eight things that will help you to do that very thing. Now, let me go to this next uh, third category. I want to talk to people who are married but have uh, what I would call uh, either unbelieving Spouses. Now, I'm going to put unbelieving in quotes there because unbelieving might be that they, they, they profess a faith, but they're not living it out in some way. And so you're in a relationship where you want God in your marriage, but your spouse doesn't seem to want God in their marriage. Okay? And so you've got two different points here. And the reason I want to talk about this is because this is where a lot of people actually live. They find themselves in this kind of situation in life where they're actually struggling with this whole thing of what do I do if I've got a spouse that's not following me in my faith? I'm already married. And so that's the, I'm not, it's not a matter of getting out of the marriage, but what do I do? I'm wanting to follow God, but my spouse doesn't want to really follow God. How do I handle this what do I do? And I want to make a quick statement here. What I'm going to share with you in these next few moments is for just people who have these kind of relationships, but not in the extreme dimension of what would be uh, what would be called abusive relationships or those kind of things. That's a whole different category. And by the way, if you're in an abusive relationship, that's not, that's not healthy for you. You don't need to stay in an environment like that that's destroying you or creating danger for your life. It's important to be aware of that. So that's another topic for another time, okay? Very important to realize because there's domestic violence and those kind of things that we need to be aware of that's very, very dangerous, and that's another topic. But I'm talking about basically things are kind of normal at home, but your spouse is not wanting to follow God in the way that you're wanting to follow God. Everybody with me so far? Let me give you some pointers. If you're in that situation today, what do you do? How do you bring God into your marriage in that regard? There, there are several things that actually I'm going to give you seven things really quickly here. Number one, you've got to let your 
your difficult marriage cause you to go deeper in your own relationship with God. Because let me tell you something, in a marriage like this, there'll be things you'll not be able to get from your spouse and that you would normally get from your spouse. And so you've got to go to God to find the strength that you need to make it. Amen? And so you've got to use any... By the way, this, this is true of any difficulty in your life. When you go through a difficulty, just dive deep into God. Amen? Anytime you have it. And then the second thing you've got to do is pray for your spouse, okay? And again, pray lovingly. I've talked about that before. Pray that God would work in their lives and pray that God would uh, get their attention, help them to understand their need for Him. Pray for them. Third thing is, here's key. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit. So important, Okay. You don't help, you hurt, you hinder. You're not helping the process, okay? Number four, you got to let your light shine. The best testimony that you'll have to your spouse is the light of Jesus inside of you. So let that light shine. Learn how to extend love to your spouse, even though they're not perhaps walking the same pathway that you're walking. Number five is make sure that you keep your spiritual boundaries, That means this. It means that even though your spouse may not be coming to church, don't you stop coming to church. Even though the spouse may not read the Bible, don't you stop reading your Bible. Just because the spouse does not pray doesn't mean you don't stop praying. You keep boundaries in your life that are solid and firm. You keep your faith in motion. You keep doing the right thing in your life. Number six, you've got to be patient, okay? Give it some time. Continue to pray. Sometimes you'll have to pray for months or sometimes for years. I've known wives or husbands that have prayed for their wife literally for decades before they came to faith in Jesus. But be patient and persevere. And the seventh thing that I'll mention here is you need to make sure that you find good support because you need positive support in your life for the spiritual side of your life to make sure that you're continuing to stay on target in that regard. And the final thing goes back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that we looked at a few moments ago. Two are better than one, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. What is the main ingredient for a successful marriage? You've got to bring God into your marriage. Say it with me. You've got to bring God into your marriage. Now, here's what happens. I want you to see here in this sequence that I'm going to share with you. I'm going to put the husband over here, the wife over here, and God here. When you bring God into your marriage, it is the threefold cord that is not easily broken. When you, as a husband, are growing in your relationship with God, and you and a wife, as a wife, are growing in your relationship with God, something very interesting happens. What happens is this, as you have this vertical dimension of seeking God, something interesting occurs in the relationship between husband and wife. The closer you get to God, what happens? What happens, folks? What's going on here? The closer you get to God individually, what's going on? The closer you're getting what? 
to each other. This, this, this works. This is real. The threefold cord is not easily broken. So the closer you get to God in this relationship with God, growing in this relationship with God, then what happens is by growing in your relationship with God, you're going to grow in your relationship with your wife and also really with other people because you can't love God without loving other people. Now notice this. when you Now notice when we get to the top here, the pinnacle of this triangle have you noticed that now what, what has happened? There's been a convergence of these two lines, right? You see that here? Are you with me here? And the two have become one. Isn't Jesus wise? Okay. Jesus says, if you'll, this is the plan for marriage. And the whole idea is to seek God. And as you seek God, there's a unity that happens with one another. And there's a oneness that occurs. The closer you get to God, the more of a oneness begins to happen in your relationship. I'll say one last thing here. The further you get from God, you start walking away from God, what happens in your relationships? Ask Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3 Chapter 2, they're naked and unashamed, having a great time in the, in the Garden of Eden. Chapter 3, they sin and walk away from God, and then they're, they're blaming each other for stuff, and bad things are happening in the relationship. So you walk away from God in your marriage, and what are you also doing? You're creating damage to your other relationships as well. So my main point this weekend, if you want a successful marriage, the first ingredient is you've got to, say it with me, bring God into your marriage. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Attention homeowners, do you need cash to consolidate? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.